What you cooking, Mom? What? <laughs> 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 fucking cut. Now I'm gonna you go buy. No, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna go purchase one. That's the problem. This this ain't for me. I was like, you know, the background is mom and dad was addicted to crack cocaine, okay. right? All praises to the most high. Hi, how are you? I am Doc Holliday. Welcome to another episode of the Doc Holliday Show where we love to uplift black men, black women, black teen, black child, black royalty. And I am joined by black royalty, Dr. Ivy R. Taylor, president of Rust College, Holly Springs, Mississippi. Don't know the zip code, but I do know you're here with me. Thank you. How you doing, President Taylor? I am wonderful today. Thanks for having me here. I, I mean, thanks for coming by and, 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 and visiting the Doc Holiday Show. Now, I know about you, but people listening, please tell the people, you know, who is President Dr. Ivy R. Taylor? Okay. Born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, uh, Ivy League graduate, mm -hmm. went to public schools in Queens, New York. Southern Roots, parents are from Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, took me a while to find myself, find my passion, my purpose. After college, I still bumped around New York City for a while, aimlessly, <laughs> looking for love and other things. <laughs> <laughs> and decided that I really wanted to work and be a part of making communities better, making cities and neighborhoods better. Went back to school, studied urban planning. Um, at Carolina, so I'm a Tar Heel too, and then embarked on a career in urban planning in Texas of all places because I fell in love with a Texan. Fell in love with a Texan. And married him and moved to San Antonio where I spent 23 years uh, working on affordable housing, neighborhood revitalization, urban redevelopment, taught at University of Texas at San Antonio, Ran for city council, became a city council member, served for five years, ended up becoming mayor of San Antonio. ISF production. Clap, brother. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you, Cash. Yeah. Which is a city of <laughs> over a million population. Uh, lost the election in 2017. Scratched my head, asked God, what do you want me to do? Went back to school at 48, got a doctorate, and landed at Russ College as president. And everyone is glad that you're at Russ College because you're doing an amazing job. Now, I want to go back because you kind of just slid through it. Yeah, that was you became, a No, no, you came mayor of San Antonio. Yes. First African woman mayor to a woman to lead a city that size to be elected as mayor. So I know you kind of like put emphasis on the loss, but I'll put emphasis on the one. Okay. Because that's not a predominantly African-American city. And, yes. you know, the most high God blessed you with, I mean, just talk about what went behind the processes. Okay. I'm going I'm to run for mayor. All right. Interesting story. So I was serving as council member for several years trying to figure out what I was going to do after council because I didn't see myself as a politician per se. And we had term limits in San Antonio, so I could only serve a total of eight years possibly as in the council seat. And I had a few folks that I respected say to me, hey, we think that when Julian leaves office, the mayor at that time, his name was Julian Castro. You may remember him because he ran for president. But yeah. anyway, he, uh, they said, when he leaves office, we think you should run for mayor. And I said, you've got to be crazy because San Antonio is only 7% black. Mm -hmm. It's over 60% Latino. And there's no way there's going to be a black mayor in this town. But folks saw something in me that, you know, I didn't necessarily recognize in myself at that time. And it was some it was a kind of a diverse group that shared with me once. One was a reporter 
she pulled me to the side after an interview out in the neighborhood. She said, when are you going to run for mayor? Shocked, because I know she had interacted with quite a few politicians. So uh, what ended up happening is when Barack Obama was um, in office, he actually tapped Julian Castro to run HUD, U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, which created a vacancy in the mayor's office. And so I was like, wow, this is exactly the opportunity I was looking for because while I thought I could be a good mayor and I was interested in being mayor, I didn't want to go through a citywide election because I knew it would be really rigorous with me being a black person mm -hmm. in a city with such a small a black population. So the ch city charter stated that in the event of a vacancy in the mayor's office, the mayor had to be selected from the council uh, by the council. So that meant that the other people that I served with had to pick the next mayor. Now, this is where it got interesting. There was one year left on Julian's term. So that meant the person was going to have the opportunity to serve as mayor for a whole year and then could possibly run. Nobody wanted to give anybody that kind of lead in a possible potential election for the future. So really what I think the calculus was, Let's put the black girl in there because she'll never win a citywide yeah. election. So let her serve for a year. We all get to pat ourselves on the back and say, you were a progressive city. We had a black man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll go back to business as usual. But what they didn't figure is that God's plan was for me to continue for another two years. So when the election came a year later, I won. Citywide election. I won a citywide election. That you said you probably couldn't win. But, you know, <laughs> but God said, no, you're going to win. But just doing that because this this show is all about uplifting us and showing the challenges that all of us face. Now, being mayor, talk about some of the challenges that challenges that you did face, even in that whole process. Because we have to deal with things. I don't care what aspect of life we in. We have to deal with things. So, talk about some of those challenges and obstacles you face, and how did you fight through them? Well, some of the challenges, even going back to. Um when I actually ran for office was just people not expecting, you know, having diminished expectations for what I could do or not believing that others would see the potential that I had. I remember one of my lowest points as, as a elected official was when I was in the midst of the election and there was an event held where every single black elected official in the county endorsed my opponent. Was but your opponent I, black? Uh, no, my opponent was a Hispanic female, okay. and she uh, had strong political chops. Mm -hmm. uh, she had been a statewide uh, elect. She had been elected official at the legislative mm -hmm. level. So nobody thought I could beat her, and so all the black people got together and stood in front of a mic and trashed mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. and uh, endorsed my opponent. But I still won. Yeah. <laughs> So that so then of course you still have to work with those people, yeah. right? So yeah. that's one of the challenges of being in elected office. So then I had to figure out what was the path forward for me working with those folks because I couldn't allow that to be a barrier to still serving the communities that they and the interests that they represented. One of the biggest challenges of being mayor is that there's not always agreement on what the vision for the community is or actually what the city's responsibility is, what the city should be doing. Folks are very confused about what their elected officials do. I'll never forget one time my daughter and I were trying to have a pleasant lunch at Chick-fil-A, and while I was in the middle of my nugget, this man came up to me and said, can I just, can I just ask you something? And I said, yeah, and he said, 
I am really upset about these exorbitant salaries in the NBA. And I said, well, uh, that's private enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, elected officials don't have anything to do with that. And so I really can't help you. You know, uh, you can write a letter to the owner yeah. of the Spurs if you want. Yeah. But, you know, he just really didn't understand. He just thought, I'm in, I'm in authority. Maybe I can yeah. do something about that. I'll never forget another time I had a woman come up to me. She was real angry. I was at a coffee shop. I said, well, how can I help you? She said, I'm so upset that uh, the XYZ elementary school is closing down. And I had to say, well, ma'am. We have an elected school board in San Antonio, and they're the ones who made the decision to close down the school, not the city council. Really? I thought you all were the ones that... So I'm saying all that to say that we could all work together better if folks would educate themselves and inform themselves about the system and the process, because that's the way a lot of elected officials get away with not providing adequate mm -hmm. representation because constituents are ignorant about what their yeah. responsibilities really are. So um, that was a challenge to try and educate people. Of course, all the normal things that you deal with in a city, police, police shootings, mm -hmm. uh, the public safety, dealing with the fire department, picking up trash, uh, and just the whole array, economic development. I was really focused on workforce development for San Antonio because, because it's a majority-minority city, historically folks have not been committed to providing adequate education to the black and brown people mm -hmm. there. And so we were trying to turn that tide because all our votes rise or fall together. Now, how did you, going back to, to the, all the black politicians, mm -hmm. not siding with you, mm -hmm. siding with your opponent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that puts you in some kind of mental and emotional space. And yes. how disappointing was that? And how did you just come up out of that and say, you know, okay, that's not going to stop me. It was extremely disappointing. Uh, I also felt embarrassed for the, uh, the black community mm -hmm. because I felt like the other folks in San Antonio must have been looking at them like, well, you know, if they won't support her, why won't they be a little, you know, quiet mm -hmm. about their opposition? Because they didn't have to endorse me, but they could have just quietly yeah. <laughs> done yeah. whatever they were going to have to do. And so I think that's something we as a black community need to do a better job at is supporting each other. I'm not saying you vote for someone just because they're black, yeah. but I'm saying that we should have each other's best interests at heart. And sometimes you may need to be a little more nuanced in your approach as far as uh, being vocal uh, about folks that are in pos positions of leadership, because you never know what all they're having to deal with behind the scenes. Outstanding, and I see your background is it's another reason I was excited about you wanting to come, you know, coming on the show because you know, black woman, because black girls looking, you know, you went to Yale, you did all those things, coming from the inner city and dealing with racism, sexism, and all those, and now you are the twelfth president of Russ College, the first female president of Russ College. You've been there a little over a year now. Just t take. Take us through that process, how that came about. And I know now because I work there, you know, you're doing an amazing <laughs> job. I mean, you, you brought some amazing people on. You've retained some amazing people. Just talk about how that process came along and for you to now say, okay, all right, yeah. I, I think I want to get to higher Folks education. scratch their heads when they say, oh, now you're in higher ed. But what happened was when I was um, a council member, I was a member of a group. And that's actually the reason I first came to Memphis 
for a conference for the National Black Caucus of Local Elected Officials. They had a conference in Memphis probably around 2011, 2012. And I remember I met Myron Lowry and several of the yeah, other uh, Miss, uh, Councilwoman Love. What's her name? Love. Janice Fully Love. Full of love. Full of love. Janice Fully Love. You <laughs> met Janice Fully Love. Fully, yeah. yes, <laughs> I met all, like, yep, I met Janice all that Fully love. Yeah. when I came to Memphis. But that um, group, so they had a Texas club um, of uh, city council members elected from uh, black city council members from across Texas, and they partnered with HBCUs in Texas, and they had all their meetings at HBCUs. So that's how I started becoming familiar with schools like Jarvis Christian and other schools mm -hmm. in Texas. And I was like, wow, these schools are amazing. The history is amazing because I didn't know about HBCUs. My parents didn't go to college. I grew up in New York. Yeah. So uh, it was an amazing opportunity to learn. Someone asked me to be on a board, but I was not able to say yes at the time. The timing was bad and the location was, I wouldn't be able to support the school. So fast forward, when I was mayor, I ended up going to a luncheon sponsored by the United Negro College Fund. And I sat next to this really elegant black woman. And so i you know, introduced myself to her, and I was like, who are you? She said, my name is Colette Pierce Burnett, and I'm the president of Houston Tillotson, which was an HBCU, which was in Austin, about an hour and a half away from San Antonio. And I just said to her, I'd love to be on your board. Wow. And I said to myself, this lady probably thinks I'm crazy because I don't even <laughs> yeah. know her. But she took me at face value, and I was appointed to her board of trustees, and that's where I fell in love with HBCUs. I was able to see up close and personal the, the impact that they were able to make on the students, the families, generations, creating the forward trajectory for students who attended them. And I said, I want to do this job Colette is doing. I want to be an HBCU president. Little problem, I did not have a doctorate. Mm -hmm. I did not want to take that GRE. Do you remember GRE? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I took it in 1995 last yeah. time. So I was, you know, I kind of stalled on the possibility of going back to school. And then I recall it so that I had lost the election, so I was looking for a job. And no doors were opening for any jobs, even though everybody knew me and mm -hmm. they knew my potential, my background, education. And so I said, well, let me look up that program that Colette went to at University of Pennsylvania in Philly. And I looked up the program, and the first thing it said is no GRE required. I said, oh, Lord, that's all uh, that's I need it. to that's know. It, huh? yeah. I said, let me write this essay. <laughs> yeah. Let me get some recommendations. I submitted the application. I think I, re I read that uh, maybe 10 days before the deadline. And I submitted the application, and I was accepted to University of Pennsylvania for their executive doctorate in higher education management. So then I started going to, back to school at age 48. Whew, that's got to be rough. That's got to be rough. Flying to Philly from Texas once a month, mm. every month, for about three days. Reading gobs and gobs of information, writing all kinds of papers, uh, and I did that for two years. I wrote a dissertation about uh, board governance at HBCUs, and when I was in the final stages of finishing my dissertation, I had put in an application for the job at Rust, and I got a call for an interview, and I had an offer for this job before I had even defended the dissertation. Wow. So it's obvious that that was the road that God wanted me to be on. Yeah, and I tell a lot of people, see, a lot, they, they, 
when they try when we're trying to do something and they like, hey, I can't get no doors yeah. open. Yeah. God is like, no, no, I'm mm-hmm. pushing you this way. Mm-hmm. If you just listen to me, because yeah. I had to learn that the hard way, mm-hmm. you know. But now you at Rust, you've been there for a year. Just talk about how has the process been since you've taken over. And as I mm-hmm. said, I'm down there. You're doing a lot of amazing things, making a lot of great changes, but also. And I have to explain this to people. You brought some great people in, but there were some great people already there that yes. you saw that I need to, you know, retain yes. these people. Just sometimes it can be tough, though, trying to bring, you know, two generations of people together. <laughs> I mean, playing me playing football, I know that. But just talk about, you know, how you've molded that and how that's coming and that, what that whole transition. Well, Rice College is an amazing institution that has wonderful history. It's been around for over 150 years oldest HBCU in the state of Mississippi. And so the college had done, produced wonderful graduates, but I think have become a little stagnant as can happen at institutions when there's not a focus on really embracing changes that are going on in the environment, in the marketplace. And so I came in with a focus on how we could build on that, um, that history and how we could elevate the institution, create more opportunities for students to be exposed to a broader array of programs, a strengthened curriculum, uh, more opportunities to engage in the community, and to look forward to uh, careers of leadership and service. And so I'm really grateful that I was able to get you to join our team. We already had some stellar um, folks, uh, like you mentioned, in particular one that comes to mind is A.J. Stovall. Mm -hmm. He's the head of the social sciences department, and he is someone who was um, active and involved in the civil rights movement, is so knowledgeable. So being able to keep folks like him who can share what they know with with the students. And as far as my eye for kind of cultivating talent, sitting right outside the door here is a young lady we call Angel. She is a Rust alum, and she had graduated maybe two years before I got there, and she was working as a secretary in the cafeteria. But when I talked to her, I saw such a spark, and she told me she was a mass communications major, and I said, we need you to work on marketing Mm -hmm. at Rust College. And so one of the other great acquisitions I was able to make was to get Miss Tiffany Perry to serve as my chief of staff, and I told her, there's a young lady I have identified that I need her to work with you on marketing and PR and outreach. And so a few weeks ago, we had a visitor who was a former top executive at a, uh, at a broadcast company, and mm-hmm. I think it was ABC. And he said to me uh, during our meeting, he, he had walked into the Welcome Center where Angel is, and he said, who's that young lady in the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In the Welcome Center, she's got such a spark. I see her as someone who's going to go far. And so that just confirmed for me Mm -hmm. that uh, I did the right thing in helping to cultivate that talent that Russ had already created because she was a graduate of Russ. So I always try to connect the dots, make connections, collaborate. We've been able to come, come up with some great partnerships since I've been there, focused on expanding opportunities where maybe we don't have the resources to provide the faculty for, say, an engineering degree. Now yeah. our Rust College students can study engineering at University of Mississippi through a partnership. So I just try to be creative, 
gather uh, a wonderful team around me and stay focused on the students and their needs. We have a student-centered approach at Russ, so it's been really fun. And you do have a great team because I know Miss LaShure, like every time I see you, I see her. Like I see you, I see her over there because y'all always <laughs> together. She's doing great things. But I just say I'm on the other side. I mean, I am a parent, but my kids are grown and my okay. youngest is about to graduate. But if I'm like, okay, Dr. Taylor, you know, I'm impressed <laughs> with you. But why should my child come to Russ College? Your child should come to Russ College because they would immediately become a part of the wonderful legacy um, that we have. They would be challenged to operate at their maximum uh, potential, their intellectual potential. They would be nurtured and treated like family because we love to treat yeah. uh, the students like family. And they would also be encouraged to uh, become involved and grounded in the surrounding community and to serve. And they would leave well-prepared for the next chapter in their lives. Sitting right outside the studio, Miss Mariah Medina, who is a senior, we were just talking today, and we have a requirement at Russ for students to do an internship that is uh, in conjunction with their major. And Mariah shared today that her internship site has offered her a full-time job when oh, wow. she graduates from Russ College. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. She's tapped into her passion. We provided the um, platform academically and also kind of the structure by requiring the internship, and then she made it happen. That's what we'll do for for anyone who chooses to send their uh, child to Russ College. And the message you have for little black girls who, you know, they're young, they may be from the inner city, they may be from the country, but they see in all these aspirations, they have on all these dreams and people telling them what they can and cannot do like they told you, not knowing that God, you know, you can't tell God what he gonna do. That's you know, right. how do you, what do you tell them to block out all the naysayers and the doubters and believe in themselves. And cause I know you've dealt with racism, sexism, all those things and you push through it. So what would you tell that little black girl who's sitting watching? Like, I want to be like Dr. Ivy Taylor, go to Yale, president, mayor, you know, what do you tell them? A few things I would tell them. First, I would start off with telling them to read everything that they can. Mm -hmm. Okay. Knowledge is power. And when you read a lot, you learn a lot and it, prepares you for your schoolwork in ways that you don't even imagine. So find things that are interesting to you and read them. And then as you're reading, you probably identify some folks that you that resonate with you as far I like to read a lot of biographies and memoirs mm -hmm. at this point in my life. So it's interesting to see other people's life journeys, especially folks that write about being young and, and coming through circumstances that were difficult. So I think there's a lot of inspiration out there, so I encourage them to tap into that, whether that be through books or somebody that you meet in person. But don't ever let anyone pigeonhole you into what you can do and what you can be. And remember that what you are is a lot more than your physical appearance, okay? You know, as in the black community, we tend to spend a lot of money on clothing, hair weave, yes. eyelashes, yes. all that. And I'm not saying we don't all want to look good, but you've got to focus on cultivating your mind and your spirit as well. And also, before we get out of here, you strong support system, because I know we were talking a little bit yesterday, got a strong black man, which, you know, strong <laughs> black man, right, strong black man, and you got a young royal. You know, your yes. daughter just talking about, you know, because I know you, you were talking about being married to your husband and what he's had to endure and mm -hmm. 
kind of hold back sometimes when he probably want to smack somebody upside the head for disrespecting <laughs> that, you know, that wife, his wife. So just, just talk about having that support system and how important it is to help you get to where you are. Well, it is wonderful to have a strong support system. So when you're young, you can make choices that have an impact on the rest of your life. Yes. So think about who you want to have a baby <laughs> with. True that. Think about who you want to marry. Oh. If you have a baby with them, you're going to be stuck with them. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> you're you're exactly time. right. So you really need to make good choices in that regard. I used to be on the board of a teen pregnancy prevention organization in San Antonio. And what we would focus on more so than the biology and the mechanics was the opportunity to preserve your dream to preserve being able to chase your dream. And if you parent early, that just makes it harder for you to be able to do the things that you want to do that are just for you. So I certainly encourage young people to think from that perspective. But as far as the support network, yes, be judicious in determining who is worthy of your time and your attention and your love. If you see red flags early on, cut them off because you can, you can move on. And um, you can do bad by yourself, as all the grandmamas used to say. <laughs> True that. And I, I do have to ask you this one last question before yes. I wrap it up, because I've, I've always been curious, not only you being mayor, but you being president of a, of a college, because I'm kind of, you know, people get a little disrespectful. They get in your space. Mm -hmm. They feel like they can say anything to mm -hmm. you. So because I know you're a strong, strong woman. How do you hold that in and keep that composure I know because you have to, but everybody ain't good at that. I ain't really good at that. But how do you, you know, keep your composure and, you know, deal with people, really not how they're dealing with you and staying mm -hmm. professional like that because I'm pretty sure you've gotten it a lot yes. and you get it a lot. Well, really, I try to stay focused on the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So if I'm having a negative interaction with someone, there's usually a broader context of something I'm trying to accomplish yeah. or move forward. And I just try to stay focused on that. I mean, I, I do get angry, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, time or two, the little Queens might uh, <laughs> pop, pop out. Queens, New York, I got Queens, New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really, I think it's important to just stay focused on the bigger picture. And also, you know, uh, if you're a Christian, to remember that no weapon formed against you should prosper. And that, you know, the, the Lord is the one who can take revenge. And there's no need of me wasting my energy trying to do that. We can do it much better. It's a great mess. <laughs> Anything else you want to add, Dr. Ivy or Taylor? I want to ask you what the R stands for because I know oh, okay. I, I, one, one time I put it on a graphic and Miss LaSilver's like, it's Ivy or Taylor. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't know. What, what does the R stand for? The R stands for Ruth. Out of the Bible or? No, Ruth oh. was my mud deer. Oh, okay. So I call her the original mud deer. That's Did you have my a switch? mother's mother. Did you have a switch? You know, mud deers <laughs> have switches. I mean, especially down south. I didn't experience that okay. side because remember, I lived in New York. That's so right. That's right. I really that's right. only that's saw right. her once or twice a year when I would go down to North okay. Carolina. And she always had a bag of Kraft Caramel candy ready for me. And she always cooked a fabulous spread at uh, all the holidays. And so I'm her namesake. She uh, did not finish high school. She raised seven kids uh, working in white people's homes as a domestic. Wow. And she always told my uh, her her children that she would never fly unless she could keep one foot on the ground. But when I was born, she flew to New York City. Wow. All <laughs> praises to the most. That's a beautiful story. So she didn't go to school. Your parents you know, didn't go to college, but here you are. They produce mayor, Yale graduate, doctor, president, 
Anything else you want to add, Dr. Taylor, before we, we get out of here? Mom, mom, don't forget mom. Mom and mom, yeah, that's right. Yeah, what's your daughter? Morgan. Morgan. Her Morgan, name is yeah. Morgan Ivy, and uh, she is a delightful, sassy young lady. Yes, okay. Anything else you want to add, Dr. Taylor, before we No, get just her? thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share my story. I, I enjoy sharing it because I pray that people get some lessons from it and that it inspires folks to uh, be their best self. Well, thank you for joining the Doc Holiday Show because thank I'm you. supposed to be at work at rest today, but I'm down here, so thank you. You working? You working? I am. Appreciate <laughs> you. But that's gonna do it for this episode of the Doc Holiday Show, where we love to uplift black men, black women, black teen, black child, black royalty. Until next time, God willing, ISF Productions. We out. We gone. He nodding his head over there. You got your mic on. You didn't hook your mic up, Cash. Oh man, we gone. <laughs> what you cooking, Mom? Great, yeah, thank you. Thank you.